Good morning, everyone, and welcome. And I'm so happy, happy to introduce the wonderful Linda Kidder as our musician today. Late at night, fraud delight, they stay awake and sing the song for you. Late at night, stars so bright, through my bedroom window I can see the moon. Here in heaven, Don't bite. I got a heating blanket on my bed. I got late night TV, late night art, and a million thoughts are swirling around my head. Here in heaven. Conversation with myself and think that I am smart. <laughs> Here in heaven, I've discovered life is an art. Late at night, early light, the hours pass so quickly to my bed. I got sunlit flowers, peaceful hours, and a touch of wind plays gently in my hair. the plan. Here in heaven I can have a conversation with myself and think that I am so smart. Here in heaven I've discovered life is an art. Life is an art. Life is an Good morning, beautiful people. It's just so wonderful to be with each and every one of you today. It's just such a joy. And I just want to just take a moment right here and right now and just, just bless this time together. As I open my heart with each and every one of you and recognizing the divine within all of us and recognizing this beautiful land that we reside on. My name is Jill Ingalls and I am a practitioner for the Center for Spiritual Living. And it is a gift to be on these lands as I recognize that I am a settler 
I am grateful and honored to live and operate on their traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples. And that other members of this gathering are working and living in their traditional land and of many other Indigenous people. As CSL White Rock is committed to the vision of a loving, vibrant world that works for all, we are committed to uplifting Indigenous voices, respecting traditional lands, and working with communities towards reconciliation. I thank the First Peoples who continue to live and care for Mother Earth and all that is above and all that is below. And I'm grateful for the one, the one that made it so. And so it is. CSL is an inclusive spiritual community and learning center. We honor many paths to the one. Our teaching is based on four cornerstone, cornerstones, cornerstone <laughs> beliefs. There is one life. It is the source of all life and all things, infinite, forever, creating and manifesting. Imagine. We are spirit having a human experience. Nothing outside us needs to change in order for us to be happy. And we are here to walk each other home. What a beautiful, beautiful tribute. Ah, yes. What a special moment this is. It is my pleasure to welcome back our guest speaker today, Reverend Savannah Noel. And what an extraordinary person she is. As a representative of the international CSL global community, her first trip at the tender age of 20 was to Ukraine, a country that she still loves and traveled to many, many times over the years. And at that 28, 20, no, at that age of 20, spoke to a group of 600 people. She's very extraordinary. And it doesn't stop there. Reverend Savannah is deeply grounded in this teaching, sharing her wisdom, knowledge, and love through leading retreats, teaching, and speaking to communities throughout the U.S. and the world. Her passion and work in global ministry has nourished her soul. Reverend Savannah lives in Seattle, but would love to live in Canada. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming the vibrant Reverend Savannah Noel. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to take you. Can I move this? Thank you. Sorry. It's always a, an interesting thing when you have all the papers up here. You don't want to knock them off. I remember uh, Reverend Michael Beckwith once said to me years ago, I said, I said, I have a question for you. And uh, he's like, ask me anything. I was like, oh, pressure. And I said, uh, how, do you, how do you start your talks? Like, how do you write them? Because if you've ever seen Dr. Michael Beckwith, he gets on stage and he just, just there's nothing in front of him. He just goes. It's like a download from spirit. And he said, you know, I used to start with, like, pages of notes. 
And he said, and then uh, it went down to a page, and then it got down to a note card. And he said, and then I was at Founders Church in L.A. once. And he's like, you weren't old enough, probably, or you probably weren't even born yet when these were around. And I don't even know what it's called, to be honest. But it's some sort of paper that you can only read it through the light. And I don't know what what it is. It's translucent. I don't know what it was, but something happened on stage and he wasn't able to read his notes. And he said, so I just went with it and I had no notes. And he said, and then the second time this happened to me, I was outside at some sort of gathering and my notes blew off the podium. (laughs) Thank God that's never happened to me. But, you know, it dawns on me that I wrote the talk. It came through me. And in a moment of total fear, we might just activate some curiosity. How many of you would consider yourselves as curious? Okay, a a good amount of people. I don't know how many folks said online. Um, Well, I have the belief that curiosity is a great superpower. I am a Sagittarius, and we are curious and inquisitive. (laughs) She is too, about everything. Uh, Albert Einstein once said, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. And so as I was contemplating and thinking about this talk, you know, there's always that blank page. And you're sitting in front of it, and it would be so easy to go into fear, like what could I possibly say? I hope this talk lands. I hope I have something to say. Because we're all human, right? And then I lean into that curiosity. What if I were to look at this in a different way? Curiosity has really saved so many relationships and situations. There's that saying that curiosity killed the cat. And I had to think about that for a minute because I thought, well, but cats have nine lives, right? (laughs) So what is that all about? You know, I, I actually think it's quite the opposite. Curiosity really can save us. It can bring healing, it can bring discourse and transformation when in all odds it looked like it couldn't be. Curiosity is the power, I believe, that has made humans um, since the beginning of time great inventors and artists and thinkers, creators and pioneers. And I think that uh, curiosity and uncertainty are most definitely interconnected. But I think our tendency as humans is we want to make meaning, right? We want to tell the whole story. We want a beginning, a middle, and an end. We want to know how it ends. And if we can move out of our fear into our curiosity, into faith, that we always know is where our power is. I find that when I am speaking from that space, people are more comfortable around me because they feel safe. And so why curiosity? I looked up the definition and it says, it means to be eager to know or learn something, or it's strange and unusual. You see, you know, uh, Tamara was thinking, I keep calling you, I I can't even say your name correctly. I say it the American way. (laughs) Tamara was saying earlier that Curiosity, well, actually, you didn't say it, but what, what I found within it when you ask the question of where we want to be curious is that curiosity requires vulnerability. 
it requires courage and faith. And what I have found in my life is that the more I stay curious, the more I find that it is the gateway to being more humble, to giving us the freedom that we seek, and it is ultimately a gift in our relationships. It keeps us not only humble, but it allows us to be more compassionate. It keeps us from falling into these ego traps that we get into, this fight when we want to dig our heels in in a conversation with someone where we don't agree. It gives us this freedom to explore new ideas in a new way. And it most definitely allows us to be more discerning. I remember one of the things that I had to learn fairly quickly when I lived in Ukraine. I taught over there for a span of 10 years. I went back and forth to our science mind community there. And I was teaching there a lot. And what I learned in doing that in a post-Soviet world is I couldn't use words over there that we would typically use here. My semantics had to shift. The way that I thought about this teaching had to shift. I couldn't wor use words like God or church, very loaded terms in that part of the world, even with people who are open to this teaching. And so I had to get really creative. I couldn't speak in platitudes or absolutes. Yes, we believe that God is the only power, as you said uh, this morning, Jill, but I couldn't even say that. And so how could I reach people? I remember the first time I walked into the young adult room because that was my task. It was, Savannah, we're going to bring you over here to speak at a conference, and I would love it if you could work with our young revolutionaries. And at that time, <laughs> they were... I want to say 15 years old to like maybe 25. And there were at least 15 of them, and they had all just been part of the Orange Revolution in Ukraine. And I remember thinking, I, I'm such a fraud. <laughs> what do I possibly have to teach them? Our life experience has been so different. And so I activated that curiosity. Instead of saying, this is what we believe, I said, you know, how about you experiment with this spiritual principle in your own life and see if it works for you? And of course, there was a lot of resistance, but I have so many stories of ways that, that I won't share today, but ways where they transformed and they were, they were forced to look at their own beliefs about it. You see, our curiosity keeps us nimble it keeps us better equipped to have the hard conversations with people. I have this belief that conflict would actually cease if we learned how to quickly move out of our reactivity into our curiosity. There's a phrase that you might use in your life or that you might consider. So when you have this urge to, to get reactive with someone, you might say, tell me more about that. Have you ever used this phrase? Or when you really don't know how to support someone, tell me more about that. I want to know more. I want to hear more. But what does it require? What does curiosity require? Well, it requires that we trust ourselves and the process of life. It means that we, this is not easy, but it means that we let go of our need of the outcomes our, our need to control the outcomes. It means that we have to let go of our rightness and our self-righteousness. It means that we have to sometimes take the high road. 
Instead of immediately forming an opinion, it means that maybe we have to gather more research, and that means more patience. And that also means more inner resolve. Can I be okay in the center of my beingness when everything out here seems to be chaotic and, and insane? Instead of getting defensive, can I get curious? Instead of making my case, can I get curious? Instead of attacking or running away from or stonewalling, can I get curious about what I'm feeling and experiencing? And what maybe someone else is needing and feeling and experiencing? Because when we approach people and life from this place, it brings us back to into what Ernest Holmes talks about, which is that beginner's mind. That beginner's mind of the present. We stay vigilant to that childlike nature. We are less reactive and more responsive. Someone said once that curiosity is a function of overcoming fear. Fear of being wrong, fear of being right, fear of being different. If you don't have the guts to think about bad ideas, you'll never have the opportunity to execute brilliant ones. I love that. So some of you might know that I follow the work of Brene Brown. Are you familiar with her? I love her work. It is so, to me, it is just so pivotal. Um, that she's brought her research of vulnerability to um, the discourse now in the world and it's become kind of mainstream now. She says that it's not always fear that gets in the way of our leadership, of daring leadership, it's armor. When things get tough, do we lean into vulnerability and get curious or do we self-protect in ways that move us away from our values? She says the need to be right or the knower, like I know it all, is heavy armor. It is defensive and it is posturing. When I read that, I thought, well, I felt, I felt like I was the knower since I was six years old. <laughs> like, like, like I know everything. But it would be great to replace the knowing with becoming a curious learner. I think that sometimes, though, what blocks us from that curious learner is our own shame, our own trauma. And then on the other side of that, I think that the knowing, and I don't mean the knowing of the egoic knowing, but that inner knowing can save us from some really hard situations. So what if we made curiosity skills a priority? Some of us, as I saw in the whole room, might be curious all the time. I remember my stepfather used to say to me, Savannah, I think you need a talk show like Ricky Lake because you ask so many questions all the time. You're constantly interviewing people. You know, Barbara Walters and Oprah Winfrey couldn't be successful if they weren't curious. They ask really good questions. Some people, I think, just need to learn to become more curious. Brene Brown also has this process called the Rising Strong Process. Um, I created a class on this body of work that I, I really love years ago, and the process has three parts. It is the reckoning, the rumble, and the revolution. And the way that she describes this is that in life, we must be willing to walk into our stories. She calls it the arena of life. That sometimes, a lot of times, we have to walk into the arena of our lives and be face down in the arena 
And she says, she calls it that face down moment. It's any moment or place where we have risked showing up and being seen. It is any moment where we have risked being awkward and goofy. It could be a tough parenting moment. Being in love is a face down in the arena moment. Feeling strange maybe in a new exercise class is a face down in the arena moment. Leading a team at work is also considered that. But I think that being in the arena is vital for us. This right here is an arena moment. It's our vulnerability though, as we know, that helps us deepen. And if you're not in the arena, getting your hands dirty and owning it, you might actually miss the integration and the transformation that wants to happen in what she calls this revolution. When we rumble with difficult emotions, when we rumble with our feelings about something that doesn't feel good, it's getting curious about the emotions and the rumble and the stories we tell, the meaning that we make about any given situation. So an example of this might be uh, asking for more money at a job or maybe you're going through a career shift, or maybe you're asking for what you want in a relationship, or maybe it's setting a boundary. These all require courage, and these all are face down in the arena moments where we might just get our butts kicked. <laughs> Vulnerability is the willingness to show up and be seen with no guarantee of the outcome. She says, though, that it is the quickest way to joy and belonging and love. And at the same time, as I said, when we walk into that arena, we may stumble, we may fall, we may get our butts kicked. And so when you're reckoning, when you're in the reckoning, the reckoning is that moment where you're having to look at your stuff, where you're noticing your triggers, where you're noticing your reactivity, and it's that moment where we can choose to be curious. Being curious means we choose vulnerability because it requires that we surrender to uncertainty. And for some of us, we don't want that because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to go into hurt and pain. We become self-protective, which ultimately also has a price, right? We ask ourselves, what is at stake here if I investigate these feelings deeper? The question I ask is, what is the cost of not investigating those feelings deeper? What if it's me who's needing to forgive? What if I'm really the one who's hurting? The rumble is where we have the courage to work with those difficult emotions and feelings when they come up. The rumble is our stuff, and the revolution invites us to transform that and to integrate it so that we can transmute it. Often what I have found when I'm rumbling with something, you might even use that term, I'm rumbling with something right now, and what's on the other side of that is freedom. The freedom that we really, really want. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. I'll say that one again. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. So it's about us resisting this temptation to our powerlessness. 
when we're working in the midst of that inner conflict of whatever's happening, the temptation is to shut down, to stop the pain, to go into victim thinking, to think that we are powerless, but you know, we know this is such a lie. What curiosity does for us, I believe, as spiritual beings is it gives us this chance. It's like, oh, thank goodness for this teaching. We can start again today. It's what gives us this vision of something greater. Can I look at this situation in a new way? Can I dig a little deeper? I want you to say this with me, okay? I will not be taken down by my perceived limitations. Say it with me. I will not be taken down by my perceived limitations. And say this with me. I will not be taken down by smallness. I will not be taken down by smallness. How many of you have heard of the book, The Four Agreements? Don Miguel Ruiz wrote it. I love this book. Um, it came into my life, um, as most of us, at a really poignant time. Do we remember what they are? Be, in, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Do your best. Don't make assumptions. And where's one more? Is there one more? Well, there is a fifth agreement, but Savannah has her own fifth agreement. And the fifth agreement is stop making shit up. Because I'm really good at making up stories about things that haven't happened. Are you? And then I find all the evidence possible to make it seem as though this is true. Yeah. It's like the law plus, what is it called? Um, there's a formula here. Junk. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> junk. I like that. Um, the law plus whatever the belief is equals evidence. Mm. Yes. So I will go and look for the evidence to, to support whatever belief that I am carrying that I believe is true. And it's called a conspiracy theory. And I'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> but stop making stuff up that hasn't happened. The thing is, though, it's just natural as humans. You know, uh, the brain rewards us with dopamine when we recognize incomplete patterns. And so we do this, of course, because we want to make things certain. It's seductive because it keeps us from having to be in vulnerability. It keeps us from having to be in uncertainty. And it would require to find out the truth or a deeper pattern. And for many of us, this is too scary to go there. It's easier to make up a story about something we've experienced before because it's familiar. Although probably toxic and uncomfortable, it's familiar. Mm -hmm. And so when I engage and when we engage our compassion and our curiosity instead of our story making, it allows us to have more empathy and compassion for ourselves and others. So if you're going to make up a story, as Ernest Holmes would talk about, make up a story that's really, really supportive and good and juicy and exciting. Who has some really good conspiracy theories? <laughs> if you don't know what that is, it goes along with this, which is a story that is based on limited, real data and imagined data, and it's blended into a coherent, emotionally satisfying version of reality. <laughs> it's, it's making up half-truth stories based on lies, and then we emotionally tie our meaning to it, which is so destructive to us. 
one of the most destructive and dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. The narratives where we don't feel lovable, we don't feel seen. And so it's about us reclaiming our lovability, our divinity, and our creativity. And these conspiracy stories we tell so often, you'll notice they become part of your daily way. They become part of the way we think, we think we're defined by them, because we know that, as I said, a story, a great story, our human DNA wants the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if we keep telling this, it becomes that integration tool. And so it then becomes unconscious storytelling. When we keep doing this, then what we notice is the next relationship, the next friendship, the next relationship, the next coworker, those relationships have all the same themes in common. Have you seen this in your life happen before? It's different versions, but the same relationship. So think for a moment, what is the go-to story that you have when you feel hurt, betrayed, disappointed, or rejected? What is the go-to story? I'm gonna have you think of it for just a moment. I'll be vulnerable here and share mine. I think my go-to story is they didn't choose me. Um, they didn't care about me. They didn't want it enough, so I must not be that valuable. I know I'm not alone in this. I see your, your head shaking. So in your curiosity with whatever that is for you, the question, I'm going to give you some questions that I want you to ask yourselves. You can write these down or keep them in your head. What more do I need to learn and understand about this situation? What do I actually know is the capital T truth? Sometimes what I have to do is I have to get still and I have to go into my journaling space or into my walking space and I have to remind myself, Savannah, you are exceptional. Savannah, you are one of a kind. Yeah. Savannah, you are brave and strong and resilient. And sometimes it takes us doing that, doesn't it? To remind ourselves that, oh, I'm not actually that story. It's so easy to go to that story, but if I were to, to, to reignite the truth with a capital T, I could come back to that and ask, what do I actually know objectively about this situation? What are the actual facts? Do I even have evidence, or am I just looking for it? What assumptions am I making? What more do I need to learn and understand about the people in this story? That's where the curiosity comes in. And the last question is, what more do I need to learn and understand about myself? What part did I play? What's underneath my response? Is it see me, love me, choose me? I don't know if all of you have a little piece of paper, but I'm gonna give you a little exercise to take home with you that I think is a really fun one. It's something that I did years ago and I carry it with me. And it's you take a little sheet of, a one inch sheet of paper, if you have one, 
And if you don't, just visualize it in your head. You might do it when you get home. But I want you to make a list on this little sheet of paper. It's like a little inch, one inch by one inch. I want you to write down a list of all of the people in your life. List the people that matter. Now, these should be the people, because many of us might have a long list, but these are the people who love you despite your imperfections and vulnerabilities, but because of them. So when you're face down in the arena and you have one of those moments, these are the folks who will pick you up and confirm, yeah, that totally sucked, that was a horrible moment, and then they will remind you that you are brave and that you are strong, and they will, will tell you, you know what, I'm here to dust you off next time. Who are those people? I keep mine in my wallet, <laughs> just in case. Getting, cur getting curious does take courage, and it takes faith, and it takes vulnerability, but the rewards are far greater when we activate them. Let us take a moment to go with it now. Just giving thanks for the breath. You can play some guitar if you'd like, Linda. We just tap into that space within us. It is that inner knowing, that inner knowing of love intelligence that has never been hurt, harmed, or betrayed. It is the space within us when we put our hand over our hearts that is pure, that is peaceful, that is vulnerable, that is compassionate, that is filled with joy. It is that childlike wonder that lives and breathes and moves through each and every one of us. And so we remember in this moment who and whose we are. The great power and presence of life that infinite intelligence that is operating all the time, most especially when we can't see it or feel it, and maybe when we've forgotten it. And so today we allow that energy and that presence of love, which is the greatest power there ever was or ever will be, to infuse our actions, our conversations, our minds, to creating the narratives that support us and uplift us, to creating the narratives that make us remember our inner power and our strength, letting go of any false beliefs around separation or fear or self-doubt or distrust, we come back to the realization, the reckoning, the revolution, that in the midst of all of that stuff is this spark of light that never goes out, illuminating the path, showing us the way, giving us the courage to face it, and knowing that ultimately we are so loved. And so with this remembrance in our heart, I give thanks. I bless this community. I bless all who serve in it. And I know that all is truly well. Together, let us say, Ashe, Namaste. And so it is. Amen. Ah, it's that beautiful time of giving. TSL White Rock is funded solely through your donations.
This means that your monetary gift is deeply valued. Every dollar received helps provide the inspiring messages, spiritual lessons, music, and personal support by our spiritual director and practitioners. Your donations make our work possible. What we freely give to life returns to us multiplied abundantly. Thank you for your generosity. You may wish to join me in putting your hand on your heart and affirm with me, because there's a beautiful slide up here, isn't there too? <laughs> An affirmation. Divine love within blesses and multiplies all that I have, all that I give, and all that I receive. And so it is. And as you know, there's three ways of giving, and um, I think that's posted online. And I think if you want any more information on that, you can um, just go online. And also, you can drop your millions of dollars in that little round basket down at the back there.